It's Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Welcome to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, show number 338. Brought to you tonight by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim, Chet, Chesco. And hey, Chet, the NFL draft is complete with what appears to be a pretty solid Eagles draft. The Sixers are back in first place after winning five in a row. The Phillies are still at 500, 15 and 15. And the Flyers, well, they're playing out the schedule with some big changes coming, I think. There's always, as usual, plenty going on in Philly sports. Wait, the Flyers are still playing? I didn't even know that. Uh, (laughs) The the Phils are driving us crazy with their inconsistent play, some sloppy defense in recent games, occasional bullpen woes reminiscent of last year. The Sixers are back first, as you mentioned. Remember last week I told you that was going to be the case because I like the way the schedules played out. Um, The Phillies, despite their troubles, are actually in first place at 15 and 15, which is hard to believe. Uh, But, yeah, the draft is going to be our focus for much of the first part of our show this week, Bill. Yep, it is. And uh, But before we get started, Chet, with all that draft talk, I want to give a shout-out to all the guys at the Edge of Philly Sports Network, you included, who covered the draft all weekend which started with us on Wednesday night with Mark Eckel. Yeah, all the shows, all the guys did a terrific job writing articles about the prospective draft picks and then the guys who the Eagles did end up taking. Uh, I had a blast being out there Friday night at the South House Pub with Freddie, Joe, Eric, Big Al, Tom Kelly, and uh, a cast of thousands. We'll talk more about that later, but that was a great night, lots of fun. Kudos to everybody involved at Edge of Philly. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk some more about that. Like you said, we'll hit you up. We want to get your uh, insight on how it was being out there live. Mm-hmm. But with that, let's jump into draft talk with our guest, the legendary Hall of Famer, Ray Didinger, back with us again. Ray, welcome. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Ray. Fantastic. Uh, Ray, I tell you, we can't wait to talk to you about your new book, Finished Business, and we'll do that in just a bit. But uh, we need to talk about the draft, first of all. And since I've heard you mention this guy countless times over the last four or five months, I know you like the Eagles selection at number 10 overall, Devontae Smith. What makes you so sure he'll succeed as a pro? Um, Just watching him play, Uh, watching him play over a period of time. I think he's uh, a very unique, uh, very special player. Uh, he's, everybody's going to, everybody's going to get focused on his size and the fact that he's 160 some odd pounds. Uh, but anybody's watched him play week after week after week with Alabama in that schedule against the best highest level of competition in college football. Um, you see that nobody can slow this guy down. Nobody can stop him. Um, he is just uh, a very rare, very rare kind of player. I think that, you know, if, if there were ever any questions about him, he certainly answered them this year coming into the season because the guys who were on the team with him last year, the receivers that were on the team with him last year, Henry Ruggs uh, and Jerry Judy left, they were gone. So coming into this year, the receiving core consisted of Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. And a couple of games into the season, Waddle goes down. And now all of a sudden, he's the last man standing. Uh, and 
and the rest of their schedule playing against really good teams and really good competition. Um, these teams had really just one guy to concentrate on. Uh, and believe me, they tried everything to stop him. They couldn't do it. Uh, he went through the season, you know, never missed a game uh, and caught 117 balls for 1,800 yards and 23 touchdowns. Mm. And then he got to the championship game. He scored three touchdowns in the first half. Um, I just think that uh, that he's got it. You know, whatever it is, he's got it. And uh, I've felt that for a long time. And he was always and talking with Glenn McDowell every weekend during the season. I, you know, I would I would keep bringing him up. Um, like saying, boy, I watched Alabama again last night, and I watched this kid number six, and boy, would he look good in an Eagles uniform. Mm-hmm. Never knowing that that possibility right really happened or exist, and here it was, you know, and it had to do a little bit of uh, fancy footwork on the part of Howie Roseman and the Eagles front office, but they did it. You know, they traded up, they traded down, then they traded up and uh, and had to jump ahead of the Giants because the Giants were prepared, guarantee the Giants were going to take him at 11. They had mm-hmm. to get up ahead of the Giants. They did. And uh, I think they got themselves a difference maker in Devontae Smith. I think he's going to I think he's a guy that's going to excite these fans and uh, and help the Eagles get back on track. Interesting, Ray, you started to mention there uh, how the Eagles, you know, faint, uh, strange bedfellows, I guess, when you jump in bed with the Cowboys so that you can jump the Giants. Uh, pretty unusual maneuvers right there. And I, I guess Dallas still got their guy. The Eagles got their guy. And the Giants reacted well and and made out well in their trade as well. Um, well, yeah, actually, um, the Eagles owe a, owe a big debt of gratitude to the Denver Broncos. It's, you know, I mean, they, they should have, I hope, I hope Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman sent a big fruit basket <laughs> out to John Elway because uh, at number nine, the Denver Broncos did the Eagles a big favor. Uh, you know, and the night before the draft, the Denver Broncos made a trade to bring Teddy Bridgewater uh, to Denver. And I think most Eagles fans probably heard that and said, yeah, so what? Well, it's a big so what when you think about what it did for the Eagles, because if the Denver Broncos hadn't acquired Teddy Bridgewater, I guarantee you at number nine, they would have taken Justin Fields. Uh, and if they take Justin Fields at nine, then the Dallas Cowboys are taking Patrick Sertain. And then the New York Giants are taking Devontae yeah. Smith. And all of a sudden, the Eagles are sitting there at 12 saying, um, 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 <laughs> you know, but I mean, just because. It all just kind of fell for him. And, you know, look, sometimes you got to be a little lucky, you know, sometimes you got to be a little lucky on the field and off the field. And the Eagles were really lucky in that situation because if, if they hadn't had made the Bridgewater trade, they would have taken fields. And then the Cowboys would have gone certain giants would have gone Devonte Smith. And I have no idea what the Eagles would have done, but they would have, they would have been in a tough, tough spot because certain would have been gone. JC Horn would have been gone. Waddle would have been gone. Chase would have been gone, and now Smith would have been gone. Um, the Eagles, the, the Eagles would have been in a really tough spot at twelve. But turned out that that didn't happen, and they wind up coming out of it with a with a young guy that I think has a chance to be a superstar. Well, Ray, they're going to have to get lucky now with their second pick, and by that I mean good health. There's been a lot of discussion about uh, the 37th overall pick, another Bama guy who's apparently a terrific center and guard when he's healthy. But uh, as you know, injuries to his knee, injuries to his ankles. Was it a mistake to take Landon Dickerson at number 37 overall? 
I don't know. We'll we'll answer that. That the the answer on that lies down the road. We'll see. Uh, I, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, and, and I um, and I say that as someone who really likes really likes the player. Um, as I said, I watched Alabama all year, um, saw a ton of Devontae Smith, so I also saw Landon Dickerson, and he's he's very good. Uh, I mean, when he's playing and he's healthy, he's really good. Uh, he started his college career at Florida State, uh, played tackle and guard there. Uh, came to Alabama, they moved him to center, and uh, and he was really good. He won the Remington Trophy this year as the best center in college football. Uh, justly so. I mean, he was, he was, um, but the injury thing really bothers me, really worries me. I mean, he's, you know, he's had surgery on both knees, uh, and he's had surgery on both ankles. Uh, and you're talking about a man who's six feet, six and 330 pounds. Uh, and just, it's my experience that the guys that get hurt multiple times in college, don't get well when they come to the NFL. It usually works the other way. So um, the fact that this guy finished four college seasons uh, on crutches uh, to me is very worrisome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, everybody's talking and focusing on the knee on the knee surgeries, the ACL surgeries on both knees, which is no small matter. Um, but I'm just as concerned, if not more so, with this with the ankle injuries because I mean, you look at Lane Johnson. It's ankle injuries that have hampered him the last couple of years, and he really hasn't been the same player. Uh, they've performed three ankle surgeries on him, and they still haven't gotten right. So this guy has two two bad ankles and two bad knees. Um, it's kind of amazing that he's been as good as he was this year for Alabama, uh, given all the stuff he's had to overcome. Um, and he's a very skilled guy, very tough, very strong, a real powerful player. Uh, and has a real command of what's happening in the line in terms of all the things that a center has to do in terms of quarterbacking, what happens up front. He's really good at all that stuff. Uh, I like everything about him except his x-rays. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, if he, listen, if he can come into the NFL and be healthy, he will be a fine player here. You know, I mean, um, Jason Kelsey may have one more year left probably. Uh, he will probably, he will almost certainly be that next guy. But until then, I, I don't expect him to sit on the bench. I mean, if he comes in this year and Kelsey's still playing at center, uh, this guy's, he's too good not to be on the field. I mean, he'll, he'll play one of the guard positions. He'll play somewhere because he's that good, but you just hope that, you know, he's able to make it through. Um, but I, as I said, the risk, I really like him as a player, but to me, the risk factor was just too great. I, I would have taken, um, Christian Barmore, uh, the defensive tackle, also from Alabama. You know, I saw what he did in the Notre Dame game and the Ohio State game, the two playoff games, where to me he was the best defensive player on the field. Um, he was the defensive MVP, in fact, in the championship game. And I just thought, you know, the Eagles obviously wanted to upgrade their defensive line because in this draft they kept going back to the defensive line round after round after round. Uh, well, they had a chance, in my view, at number 37 to get the best the best defensive tackle on the board, and uh, they chose to pass on it. So uh, if it had been me, I would have taken Christian Barmore. But the Eagles take Landon Dickerson, and now we'll just wait to see if he can stay on the field. If he can stay on the field, he's a good player. Well, Ray, you, you kind of answered part of my question uh, that I was going to ask you. Between uh, Landon Dickerson and Milton Williams, 
do you think those picks were more towards the future rather than now? I guess you kind of think that Dickerson's going to be on the field. Uh, but going back to that press conference, it still irritates me that I mentioned every week on this show where uh, they didn't use the word rebuild, but they kind of said rebuild mode. Um, do you think these are more down-the-road picks maybe next year and not quite as much expectation this year? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that the – to be honest, I think they recognize that, 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 that they are in a rebuild mode. But they, but they are in a rebuild mode and a rebuilding division. You know, I mean, none of the teams in this division are any good. So um, there's no, there's really no reason for them to just say, you know what, we can't win anything this year. Let's just, you know, let's just think down the road. Let's just stockpile draft picks, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna finish last. We're not as good as these other teams. Well, in other divisions that may be true, but not in this one. Um, I mean, these, the rest this division is still. You know, I'll be kind and say mediocre. So, uh, no, I, I think they're viewing it as, in reality, yes, are we rebuilding? Yeah, we are. But there's no reason to think in this division that we can't rebuild and win at the same time. And I think that's it's it's sometimes it's hard to serve two masters like that. But I think that's kind of the position the Eagles find themselves in, and I think that's their strategy here. Uh, and you know, taking a guy like Barmore, I think would have been that anyway. I mean, to me, Barmore is. When I watch him play, and I, I will admit that he's a little bit of uh, of an in and out kind of guy. He, he's a little inconsistent week to week. There's some weeks that he's he's a dominating player, and then there's other weeks where you kind of don't even notice him. He's I wish his motor ran at the same level every single week. It doesn't really, but when he's good and he's on his game, he's really good. And uh, when he's really good, what he reminds me of is uh, is is what Fletcher Cox was in college. I mean, he's got the same kind of size. He's got the same kind of width, the same kind of strength and power. Um, and, you know, Fletcher Cox is right now at a point in his career where, you know, how many years does he have left? You know, so you t if they brought Barmore in here, for now, he could have played with Cox. And then whenever it was, whenever Fletcher, and this is probably his last contract, realistically, when it's over for him, I think that he has the kind of skills, this kind of size and the kind of skills to step right in and be the next Fletcher Cox. So, yeah, I mean, you can build to win now while still building for the future. I mean, ideally, I think that's what the Eagles are trying to do. Well, Ray, I know you like Smith, and uh, while they went heavy on defense in the draft, they did take another offensive guy that you like, from what I understand, in the fifth round, Kenneth Gainwell. Great name, by the way, for a running back, Gainwell, uh, the guy out of Memphis. What do you like about him? Uh, I, I really like him, Chad. He's a smallish guy, about 5'9", 205 or thereabouts, uh, but plays and runs with a lot of power. Um, very smart, very elusive. And I think um, if you – very often coaches will, when they're evaluating scouting draft picks – future players they'll try to get a, a mental picture in their mind of this guy will be will be the guy this guy that I coached before you know I'm looking for the next this guy uh, and anybody that saw the Indianapolis Colts the last few years uh, you saw they had a little running back named Niam Hines who uh, was very effective I mean they used him a lot as sort of the change up back uh, but they used him very well, and he was really effective. I mean, last year, 
they kind of had a really nice one-two punch with Jonathan Taylor being the sort of the bigger, more powerful runner and Hines being the sort of scooter scat back kind of guy who also caught the ball out of the backfield. And I think Nick Sirianni sees Gainwell as the new Niam Hines. Uh, and I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty accurate. I, that's to me, I think that's what he's going to, I think that's what he's going to be. Uh, he runs the ball really well. He's very smart. He doesn't blow assignments. He, you know, he always sees the field exactly right. Um, he, uh, the thing he does best is catch the football. Uh, at, at Memphis, they used to use, um, they very often had a lot of five wide receivers, five receiver sets. They like to play that way. Uh, so he would, sometimes he'd be in the backfield, but very often they'd have him split out almost like another wide receiver. Uh, and he was very good at doing that. So it's not just a matter that he's one of these guys who will just catch checkdowns and screen passes. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that you can put in the slot or put out wide and have him run a route like a wide receiver. And he knows how to do that. And he catches the ball. Um, two year, he didn't play this year. He took the year off for, because of COVID, which you understand when you realize what happened with his family. He lost four family members to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had a lot more going on in his life than football this year. Uh, but he'll come back this year. And the one, the last full season that he played, I mean, he had over 2000 total yards. So I think that, uh, you look at him, you look at his skill set, and what I kind of think the Sirianni offense is going to be to me, it looks like a real nice fit. Well, Ray, always interested in Penn State players. Uh, Saquon Barkley, of course, ended up with the Giants. Now Micah Parsons ends up with the Cowboys. How did you like Micah Parsons, and where did you have him slotted in your draft? Uh, Between 10 and 15. uh, I thought that was where he was going to go, and that is where he went. Uh, Yeah, he's very, very talented, very talented player. I mean, you might say in terms of – physical ability, he might have been the best all-around defensive player in the draft If you when you watched him. I mean, Sertan was awfully good. Uh, but in terms of the guys who played in the front seven, yeah, he was the best player up there, I thought. Um, really explosive, really versatile. Um, he, he's a guy I think can play pretty much any linebacker spot. He can play inside. Uh, he can also play on the edge. Uh, he's good against the run, but he's really good Russian passer. Um, he can cover. I mean, just about anything you want a linebacker to do, he can do. The only questions about him are the questions about his attitude off the field, all those kinds of things. Um, there's, I mean, that that's followed him from all through college, that he's selfish, that he's not a good team guy, has problems with his coaches, wants to freelance, wants to do what he wants to do. Um, if he has that kind of an attitude, then, you know, then he's going to be button heads with his coaches and he won't be the kind of player he's capable of being. But if, if he really, if he kind of matures and I've seen guys do that, you know, come into the NFL and different set of circumstances, bigger challenge, different kind of coaching, they kind of grow up, you know, and if he can do that and just settle in and play football, he's got, he's got every tool you could imagine or want in a linebacker. And, you know, if, if he if he comes in here and really and really locks in, uh, he will improve that Cowboys defense like day one because he's really good. 
All right. Can't wait to see how it all plays out this fall. Ray, this is pretty exciting. Your brand new book is called Finished Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes, and Heartaches, and it's out in the next uh, couple of weeks. I can't wait to read it. I know you have some great stories and memories about covering Philly sports over this past half century. Did I hear you say you didn't even think about writing a memoir until after the Eagles finally won the Super Bowl in early 2018? Yeah, exactly. If if the Eagles hadn't won the Super Bowl, I don't think I would have ever written the book. Hmm. I really don't. Um, but the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, um, to me, that was kind of finished business. You know, I mean, in fifty in fifty years of covering sports in Philadelphia, you know, I saw the Flyers win two Stanley Cups, saw the Phillies win two World Series, you know, I saw Dr. J and Moses bring home the NBA championship. The one thing that was kind of missing was an Eagle Super Bowl. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when that when that happened, it kind of and it, co- it corresponded with my 50 50th year in the business. It kind of brought an awful lot of things just kind of together yeah. in, in a way that it was sort of like, you know, wow, that's really, you know, that's been quite a 50 year ride, you know, and, and to experience this and see the way it impacted the city um, and. You know, there was that whole sort of story that grew out with, with me and my son after the game. Um, there, there was, there's just a lot of stuff there, you know, that kind of, that I kind of felt like, you know, now's the time to say it. So that was it. But I, I really think if the Eagles hadn't won that Super Bowl, I kind of doubt that I would have ever written it yet. Hmm. Well, so Ray, walk, walk us through a little bit without telling us the whole story. How, how did, how does it lay out in, uh, you know, do you start basically from the time you started writing uh, for the newspaper all the way on through or high points and low points or how, how did you lay it out? Pretty much it. If you see the title of the book, the title of the book is uh, Finish Business, My 50 Years of Headlines, Heroes and Heartaches. And that's kind of it. It's it's sort of a look back over that whole time. Uh, and those are the chapters. Um the, obviously, I write, I write a whole chapter about the Broad Street Bullies. How couldn't you? You know, you, you had to. Um, chapter seven is about being a teenager, being in college, my freshman year of college, when the 64 Phillies totally collapsed and broke my heart and almost caused me to flunk out of Temple University, <laughs> which, is literally, which is literally true. Uh, <laughs> then you got the Peddler's Son as a chapter on, uh, as a whole chapter on, Leonard Toes, um, Leonard Toes' Rise and Fall. Um, Michael Jack is a chapter I devote to Mike Schmidt, who I I felt like I had to kind of pick the best player I covered in 50 years. I kind of felt like I had to pick one guy and um, thought about it a long time, but uh, I picked Mike Schmidt. So uh, so I did a chapter on Schmidt. And uh, I, I try to hit everything. And I also uh, did a chapter on... Uh, also did a chapter on the professional wrestling series that I wrote in uh, 1984, I guess, when wrestling, when the wrestling boom came along and every time you turned the TV on, no matter what channel you went to, it was was wrestling, it seemed like. Um, The sports editor at the Daily News said, you know, this wrestling thing has really gotten big. I think we should need to do an investigation and do a whole story about why it's so popular. And, uh, and I said, well, I have no interest. Don't, don't give it to me. And he said, no, 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 I am. giving it to you. Uh, and it was the only, it was the only time in 50 years that I actually got into an argument with the boss about saying, no, I don't No, No, please. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Give it to somebody else. 
Uh, and then he insisted, no, you're doing it. Wow. And I did it under duress. Uh, I spent the better part of four months knocking around the wrestling circuit, uh, all these little tank towns all over the place. Uh, but you know what? Uh, it was a fascinating story. Uh, he was right. I mean, there, that, that's, it, there's a real story there. You just kind of have to you have to go there and find it. But uh, that was that was just a very interesting six months of my life. And uh, I decided, you know, look, this book has to have Schmitty. It has to have Reggie White. It has to have Gene Mock. It has to have Wilt and Dr. J. But I got to find a place for that one year of wrestling. So that's in there, too. So it's, well, hey, hey, Ray, I didn't see I didn't see a chapter that said Christy Brinkley. <laughs> Christy Brinkley actually does appear. Uh, I did a, I did a chapter on uh, my life covering boxing. And uh, so Christy Brinkley pops up in there in that chapter, the Butterflies and Raging Bulls chapter. Uh, right. I, I, write, I write about being at Leonard Duran, too which is where I crossed paths with Christy Brinkley. <laughs> yes, we love that story. Speaking of stories, Ray, you told us that one. You also told us about your unplanned one-on-one -on -one interview with Muhammad Ali. Right. But what we, we haven't actually talked with you here on the show about is your first couple of years when Dick Vermeil was the Eagles coach. And I know you guys didn't actually hit it off. He was not a fan of yours in his first uh, stint as Eagles coach. Uh, no, no, he wasn't. Um, is he the high school Harry? That was high school, Harry. Yeah, uh, it was. Um, it was one of those one of those things where he, he just didn't get me. Uh, you know, I mean, Dick, when he came in, he was very idealistic, very enthusiastic. Uh, I mean, he made Nick Sirianni look calm. You know, I mean, he was. Uh, he was. You talk about high energy. He was that high intensity. He was absolutely that. Uh, and he came in and he took over a bad team and a bad situation. They hadn't won in forever. Uh, and Dick was, you know, Dick was going to build them up with his own personality, his enthusiasm, his hard work, all that stuff. Uh, and I was the guy, I was the beat guy for the then Philadelphia Bulletin. So I wasn't a columnist. I was just there every day writing stories about them at training camp. Uh, and every day I was basically writing that, you know, the team was lousy and they, you know, and they just didn't have any players and, you know, like the coach is working his butt off. That's that's obvious, but he just doesn't have anything to work with. And uh, and what, what it really came down to was, you know, Dick, one day Dick pulled me aside uh, and he said, you know, he said, you're 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 wrecking the morale of this team. You're he said, you're he said, I spend all day trying to build these guys up and convince them that they that, that we can win and we can turn this thing around to be a good football team. Uh, and he said, and then every night they go home and they pick up the newspaper and you're, you're telling them that they're no good. How and dare so, you? Well, I, spent, I spent the whole day building them up and in one and read with your column and you tear them back down again. <laughs> and you know, which I, I understood it. I mean, I understood that's how he would see it. But what I said was, and he said, you know, the guys who covered my teams at UCLA, when I was coaching at UCLA, those writers, they wrote good stories. You know, <laughs> they wrote how good we were. Then they, then they were rooting for us and they were all, everything was positive. And I said, well, Dick, Look, how can, what can I tell you? You know, that was college football. This is the NFL. That was L.A. This is Philly. Um, but more than that, you know, you did have a good team there. And, and here you don't. I mean, it's just as simple as that. And um, I said, I'm, look, I would love to see you win here because I'm tired of covering a losing team. That was my seventh year of covering the Eagles. And I hadn't covered a winning season yet. So I said, look, I, 
I'm tired of writing these kinds of stories. I'd love to see you turn this thing around, but I have to be honest. I have to write what I see. And what I see is a team that I think you're going to be lucky to win four games this year. So I, he didn't really get it then, but what he came to realize was I was just being honest, you know? And uh, once he got the thing turned around, which he sure did in 78, you know, I remember getting a letter from him uh, at the office where he said, I remember our conversation three years ago, you know, where you said that uh, if I finally got this thing turned around, that, uh, that, you'd be happy and would, would be on the same side. And I read the story you wrote on Sunday and somebody from the family sent it to me. And yeah, I see, I see what you're, I see what you're talking about. And okay, I see you're an honest guy. Well, for that point, for that time on, we got along great. Uh, and now, I mean, we're, we're really good friends. But mm -hmm. that first year, he was under tremendous stress. He was under tremendous stress uh, because he had never coached a team that bad before. Yeah. You know, in high, school, in high school, he had good kids, and in college, he had good kids, and he coached at Stanford, and they were good. His one year in the NFL, he was a George Allen with the Rams, and they were good. You know, and then he came in here, and, and it was just a mess. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he, had a, he did everything he could to get that team back on its feet, and he sure did. I mean, in three years, they were in the playoffs, and in year five, they were in a Super Bowl. Still one of the great coaching jobs I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. So Ray, uh, COVID's breaking up a little bit. Are you going to be able to get back on the book tour, get out to do signings with your book? And, and more importantly, is it going to be available before father's day? Because that sounds like a pretty good father's day gift for a bunch of us. Hope so. That was one of the reasons why they scheduled it this way. They wanted, um, they wanted the book out for father's day mm -hmm. for that very reason that they thought it would be a good father's day gift which it is, by the way, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, um, yes, it will be because it really is kind of available now. I mean, if you go online, uh, if you go online at, at Amazon or you go to Temple University Press online, you can order the book and you will get it probably within a week. I mean, it's it's done. It's printed. It's there. Uh, and it's shipping now because I've heard from some people. Some people have sent me emails <laughs> that they've gotten their copy within the last couple of days. So it's shipping online. Now, it's probably not in bookstores yet. That's mm -hmm. probably another week or two off, but it'll be there for Father's Day. But if you want to get the book now, you can go online and order it, and you'll probably have it in three or four days. Awesome. Hey, one final question. I know how important Tommy McDonald was to you, of course, first as a young Eagles fan and then as a media person who helped him get into the Hall of Fame. Um, what do you tell about Tommy in your book? Uh, is it basically your Tommy and me story or something different? No, it's pretty much the Tommy and me story. Um, I did one whole chapter of the book is Tommy and me. Mm -hmm. um, and it talks about how we met back in Hershey at the training camp in 1957 when I was just a 10 year old kid and Tommy was a rookie, uh, third round draft pick of the Eagles. That's where we met. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we developed this relationship where I would wait for him at the locker room door and he would hand me his helmet and would walk to the field together. You know, and I became quote unquote little brother. Uh, and that was our relationship. And then, you know, when I got into the sports media business, you know, I sort of tried to begin the campaign to get him the one thing that he really, really wanted most of all, which was yeah. a spot in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And lo and behold, it happened. And then, uh, and then he he did that wonderful thing where he asked me to be his presenter yeah. again. And we wound up having that whole weekend to share together. That you know, that whole sort of life coming full circle story. We we lived it. So yeah, and that became the play. And, uh, and so I made a whole chapter out of telling the whole story. How did it start? How did it grow? How did it develop? And then how did it turn into this 
played. It's been very successful. And, you know, we're hoping, you know, Bill was asking about, uh, will there be book signings this year? I hope so. Uh, but I also hope that theaters reopen and we'll be able to bring Tommy and me back. Cause I know there are several theaters in the area that once they open the doors, you know, one, they've already told us that one of the things sure. that they would like to bring to their stage is a revival of Tommy and me. So I hope, we, I hope that happens. Hope so. Awesome. Well, Ray, tell us one more time. Uh, you said Amazon, and what is the what is the right name for Temple? What is it? Temple University. Oh, Temple, Temple University Press. Temple University, Temple University Press. Press. You can nope. go online. Temple University Press. They have their own website. That you can order it there, or you can go to Amazon, or you can order it there. But uh, it's out there, and if you order it, if you order it now, it'll be shipped within the week. All awesome. right. Finished business. We appreciate you, Ray. Thanks for coming by. As always, great. Wish we could do it every week. It's a lot of fun. I always look forward to spending time with you guys. Thank okay, you, Ray. Ray. Thanks, Take Ray. Care, Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Chad, I tell you what, man. It gets no better than that right there. He's the Hall of Famer for good reason. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fantastic. I, I can sit and talk to him just all night long. He's awesome. Love all Ray. right. Well, Chet, speaking of sitting, if your couch is getting more mileage than your car, it's possible with you're stuck in your COVID world. It's time to start saving with Allstate's pay-as-you-go auto insurance. You know it, Bill. Allstate's pay-as-you-go auto insurance puts you in control. You only pay for the miles you drive. With the same full coverage that a traditional policy offers, pay-per-mile insurance gives customers greater control of their insurance costs. See how much you can save with pay-per-mile car insurance by calling your local agent in Westchester, Pennsylvania. That would be Dave Lavoie. Call Dave at 610-430-0700. Again, 610-430-0700. And start to save more now that you are driving less. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good! And Merrill is good. Well, hey, Chet, Sixers back in first place, as we said, uh, leading the Nets by a game or so. Uh, Funny how that works when Embiid plays and how it don't work so well when he don't play. That's why he's an MVP candidate. He's no. just so good. Come oh, on. He, look, you know, if he didn't miss those 20 games, that he would be the front runner. Right now, he's sec- one was a serious injury, okay? And uh, that's why. But uh, I mean, he's just so important to them. And as much as people like to criticize Ben Simmons, they were 0 4 when he was out with his recent illness. So those two guys are important. And now they're both together and they're looking good. They've won five in a row. I told you last week that the schedule was favorable for them. The Nets lost a couple since then. The Sixers have this five-game winning streak. The last couple were a little shaky, but they did hang on. And all of a sudden, they're up by a game or game and a half, whatever it is at this point. And I like their chances for the first seed. Yeah, well, I tell you, they need a good run here going into the playoffs with some chemistry and – let this thing settle out. Who who the five are going to be? Who the the bench is going to be? And get everybody on the same page because I think that's one of the things that they certainly lacked under Brett Brown. They never seemed to get that together going into the playoffs. Yeah, well, they know who the starting five is now. It's just figuring out if they're going to go, you know, three or four guys deep off the bench. 
Uh, you got to have Matisse Thibel in there because he's just such a great defender. He's not going to score a lot, but man, if he played more minutes, he'd be a, an all defensive team candidate because he is just so good. And uh, Shake Milton's had his, his ups and downs, so we'll see where he fits into things. And George Hill's still kind of getting untracked. He looks good sometimes, other times he looks still rusty because he missed a lot of time. But uh, the good thing is they still have what seven games or so left ahead of the playoffs. And uh, right around two weeks from now, Bill, they'll be getting ready for game one against whoever. Yeah, well, they, like you say, there's not a lot of time, and uh, they need to come together and, and find everybody their their spot and, uh, you know, get it get it going and obviously stay healthy and everybody play every night. That would be, that would be helpful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the playoffs this year because, I mean, there's certainly not going to be any Flyers playoff action. So the Wells Fargo Center will have some 76ers action at least, and I like their chances. I think they got a good shot to get not just to the East Finals, but maybe even to the NBA Finals. We will find out soon. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, is is Random Chet back this week? You know it is, Bill. You oh, know it. boy. Here we go. Let's do it. Uh, Bill, there are a few gazillion songs out there, and there seem to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds about specific topics. Love, heartbreak, rain, cars, booze, women, you name it. And with Sunday being Mother's Day, I was thinking about – just how many songs there are with mom or mother or mama in the title. There are well over 100, and you can trust me, I checked. Anyway, I decided to try to come up with my personal top 10 list of such songs. Not an easy task. Uh, Here are a bunch of great ones that didn't make the cut by terrific artists, including ABBA, Genesis, Danzig, Elton John, Slade, Neil Young, Tracy Bonham, James Brown, and UFO. Sorry, guys. All right, now, my top 10, in reverse order, of course. At number 10, Mama, I'm Coming Home, one of my favorite Aussie solo tunes. Ninth on the list is the 1970 John Lennon song, Mother. At number eight, a 1972 top 10 hit for Paul Simon, Mother and Child Reunion. Seventh is a song that Randy Newman wrote in the 1960s, which Three Dog Night then turned into a monster hit, a number one hit in 1970, Mama Told Me Not to Come. At number six, the oldest song on my list, Mother's Little Helper by the Stones from 1966. Now, the top five, an underrated 1967 gem from the Beatles' Magical Mystery Tour album, Your Mother Should Know. Love that one. Number four on my list is a catchy song from 2003 by a band out of North Jersey and New York City, Fountains of Wayne. And the song, of course, Stacy's Mom, which happened to have a memorable video to go with it. Rachel Hunter as the mom, yowza. At number three, a classic rocker from Queen in 1977, Tie Your Mother Down. Great guitar work from Brian May and some memorable lyrics like, take your little brother swimming with a brick. That's all right. All right, number two, one of the many classic songs on Pink Floyd's 1979 double album, The Wall, Mother. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? And at number one, a fun pop song from Loggins and Messina, which hit number four on the Billboard Singles Chart in 1972, Your Mama Don't Dance. That's my list. Hope you'll agree with at least some of it. Either way, happy Mother's Day to all the great moms out there. (laughs) Well, you got me to laugh. That was good. You like Stacy's mom, that little video, didn't you? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you you threw a little curveball out there, but... uh, (laughs) 
but you hit it out of the park on that one. I got to say, <laughs> just in case you were dozing off, I threw a little <laughs> Rachel Hunter in there for all the guys. <laughs> yeah, yep, I hear you. Good, good. Hey, Fun by stuff. the way, not only is today Cinco de Mayo, it is also National Hoagie. So go out and get yourself a Hoagie, then get yourself a Corona. And uh, I'm having something here. It's uh, the new Raging Eagle from Yingling. It's a very good mango beer, and I really like it. Really, really like it. Well, I, I have to say, good timing on the Mother's Day, but I was really expecting a Cinco de Mayo random chat. So you caught me a little <laughs> bit off guard right from the start, but you do have the uh, adult beverage to, to show for the Cinco de Mayo. Now, Cinco de Mayo is okay, but what's not okay is when you leave the Hellman's out for like days and days, then you get Stinko de Mayo. Stinko de Mayo. I hear you. See what I did oh, there? <laughs> you're, you're on a roll tonight. Hey, since you're on a roll, we mentioned the NFL draft lineup for the Edge of Philly Sports last week, uh, but we didn't get to talk about your live on location uh, portion of the weekend Friday night. How, how was it? Uh, how was the crowd? Uh, as a viewer, I, I watched a good part of it. Uh, it was excellent. Good job by yeah, all you guys. Not a, not a huge crowd, but it was a decent crowd at the South House Pub. Nice little place. I've never been there before. Somewhere on 13th Street. And as you know, I was on a live panel with Eric Williamson and Joe Marks. Tom Kelly was there killing it until I was able to get there an hour into the show because I had to you know, work my real job until 7. Uh, Big Al hopped on to say hello and make a few comments. And our pal Freddie Burns was the moderator. He did a great job anchoring the show all three and a half hours worth keeping the conversation going. And uh, yeah, just terrific work by Fred. We all had a good time. The only bad thing about the night, Bill, I never got to sample the wings that are supposedly fantastic. Well, I asked the Edge of Philly little group we had going on, how were the wings? And no one <laughs> had a chance to sample because everybody was working all the time. Yeah, well, it's tough to talk and, you know, do a little live show and you eat at the same time. All at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> next time. Well, good stuff, and uh, let's go ahead and give a shout-out to all the shows at the EOP Network. Everyone deserves it. The Broad Street Bully Podcast, they're still, Drew Drew and Jeff and Doyle are still hanging out, talking Flyers hockey. Uh, they're going to have a lot to talk about this offseason, so uh, there'll be a lot of banter there for sure. Birds IQ every Monday, 7 p.m. with Kyle and Eric Quinn. They're talking Eagles football uh, all the time, and Edge of Philly, Sports Live, Joe, Freddie, Big Al, they cover all the sports and so much more. Uh, that's live Wednesday tonight at 9.30 each week Eastern time. And Tom Kelly, as you mentioned, and the gang at the Patterson Avenue Fanatic Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. They, too, talking all things Philly sports. So you can check out all their shows at www.eopsports.com. Help us by hitting those subscribe, follow, like buttons, and then always share with your family in friends don't forget sign up for the weekly eop newsletter that arrives each friday by email that's always good got good stuff in it and by the way tonight on eop at 9 30 they have jeff mosher who's been covering the eagles for a long time so lots more eagles talk and see what he thinks about the draft pick and what it all means for the birds yes sir all right jet let's talk phillies for just a little bit 30 games in the books 500 15 and 15 in the 500 NL East. Uh, nobody wants to win yet. Looks like some hitters uh, starting to warm up a little bit. Andrew McCutcheon being one of them, starting to come around some. Uh, what do you think of the umpire over the weekend? It was, it was quite a <laughs> quite a comedy. 
I tell you, the umps have not been having a great season so far. That uh, McCutcheon thing where they called him out of the baseline, I'm pretty sure that's what you're referring to. That was horrible. That was ridiculous. And uh, I could not believe that one. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you don't know what the next guy's going to do. Well, they got two wrong calls on the same play on that because they <laughs> called the hitter safe at first and overruled and got him out. Uh, so, but, you know, McCutcheon ends up on second. Next guy gets a hit. They win that game. And, uh, as Joe Girardi said, yeah, it's only May or April. I think it was actually the first day or two of May. But um, those games all count the same as the ones that are played in September. A loss is a loss, and if you didn't deserve it, uh, not good. And then Sunday night, there was the game where they almost tied it in their final at that. Reese Hoskins hitting what we thought was a game-tying home run. He thought so. The umpires on the field thought it was. They reviewed it and determined correctly that it hit the railing out in right center field. So no home run, just a double, and it was 8-7. The Phillies lose the game. It's a shame that, you know, it didn't go our way, but it was the right call. But you wonder why some calls are reviewable like that one, and yet the McCutcheon in the base path thing is not. There's no reason that one should not be reviewed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, our buddy Mike Bauer sent me a note. I don't know if he sent it to you, too, about that Reese Hoskins call. And I got a buddy that uh, made it to it as a triple A umpire. And I, I haven't had a chance to get a hold of him, but I'm going to ask him uh, of Mike's thoughts on that. And, and if, if my buddy Ray agrees with it, basically what Mike said is uh, they call that a, a home run is a delayed dead ball. According to Mike, uh, it's delayed because the batter still has to touch all the bases. So when mm -hmm. the ball bounced in back into play, um, even though it was ruled a home run that the Mets should have played it. Uh, I don't know that to be true or not, but Hoskins still touched all the bases and nowhere was it a ground rule double because the ball never left the field. Um, yeah, I, I did get Mike's note, but th I think there's some judgment involved there too. And so, you know, had they played it as a double, had the umpires called it a double as they should have, you know, he would have stopped there. So you can't say, well, because they didn't, it's just not the way it goes. You, there has to be some discretion there and some common sense involved. So I, I think, unfortunately, they did get it right, not just the call, but as far as, you know, what it all means for the game. You, you can't just have him circle the bases because the Mets didn't play it. Yeah. Well, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double check on that. I'll, I'll come since circle back seems to be a buzzword these days, I'll circle <laughs> yes. back on that next, next Wednesday. Okay. We, we do hear that phrase a lot. Yeah. A couple of other quick things about the Phillies. Odubel Herrera stinks. I don't know why he's still here. Roman Quinn is hurt again. I mean, I know it's a legitimate injury, but he's on the 10 day IL. I guess that's what it's called now. The IL Mickey Moniak is back up. Um, Gene Segura should be back in the next day or two. That is great. They got to get some hitting out of the center field spot, though. Bryce Harper is still day-to-day. -day. Hopefully, he'll be back soon. And don't look now, kids, but the team in the National League with the best record, Gabe Kapler's San Francisco Giants at 18 and 12. Hey, we have a message here. Uh, I guess this is live. Uh, Jane says, Didi hit a grand slam. I assume that's, I assume that's tonight. tonight. So, unless it's old news from three it, weeks ago but. no it just she just popped that up here in the last minute or two while you were talking so uh i'm i'm guessing the phil's got a four spot already and that's good to see dd hitting the ball 
Yep. Jane is Jane. multitasking. She's listening Jane. to us and watching the game. Jane said, yep. So it's all right. live. So the Phil's got a four spot. Go all Phil's. Right. Hey, we talked about this last week. Gabe, uh, not Gabe Kapler, but Joe Girardi. He's having some uh, issues occasionally. There was the lineup card mess yesterday where he didn't get the right card into the proper people. So uh, he couldn't bring De Los Santos into the game. And that almost cost him a game because David Hale stinks. Well, I mean, we got to maybe give David Hale the benefit of the doubt. He wasn't even supposed to pitch, and all of a sudden he's pitching because this knucklehead can't figure out how to get a lineup card right. But even when David Hale does warm up properly, he stinks. <laughs> he's not been good. <laughs> but, you know, uh, if Gabe Kapler would have done what Joe Girardi oh, did, uh, he would be crucified him by today. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm the, I'm not usually very critical of coaches, but uh, my my jury is still out on Joe Girardi. I want to see him do yeah. something. That was a big topic on both of the sports stations today. You know, are we giving Girardi too much leeway because he has won a World Series? Yeah, but as you said, if Kapler made these kind of moves, he would be getting killed even worse than usual over the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. What what was the one he did just a couple of weeks ago? There was uh, what. He made two mound visits, didn't realize it was a second right. mound visit. Right. So, yep. yeah, he's, he's made some questionable moves, that's for sure. Yep. All right. Hey, Chet, great guest tonight in Hall of Famer Ray Didinger. Who's coming to Philly Press Box next week? Well, Bill, hopefully the Phillies will figure out some of their issues by then, but I doubt it. Uh, either They're still in first place, which is the amazing thing. Either way, we're going to be talking a lot of Phils next week with the editorial director at Phillies Nation. He is back for a third visit with us. That is Tim Kelly. He's all over the Phils, Bill, so that's going to be fun. And Freddie Burns is back with us for the first time in two months, I think. Freddie's going to talk Sixers and Eagles with us. So we're going to cover the Phillies with Tim Kelly, not Tom Kelly, but Tim Kelly, and then some Eagles and Sixers talk with Freddie Burns, and I'm going to try to avoid talking about the Flyers once again, if possible. <laughs> well, hey, uh, if, if there's Phillies fans that are watching and, and are listening, Tim Kelly is really, really, really good, really knows his stuff. Fred's good, but everybody knows Fred's good. Yeah. But, um, Tim's been on with us twice. He's about probably a third of our age. Not quite, but uh, my math sucks. But he's young. But, man, does he know his stuff. Yeah, don't be fooled by that picture that he looks like he's young. He's yeah. He knows his stuff, and he is, he is on it, and he'll be really good. Next week. Yep. All right. Hey, uh, you're still going to have to talk about the Flyers because I don't want to leave you two more minutes to back up to the Academy <laughs> Awards. So uh, they're playing out the oh, season. Yeah. How do you stink for four straight games? Uh, and then you turn around and score a touchdown against the Penguins. How, how does that happen? What's going on? I don't know. I haven't really watched more than a couple of minutes of any Flyers game in about three weeks now because, you know, once they were on the verge of elimination, I just said, why waste my time? I got stuff on my DVR that I could be watching, so I've, <laughs> I've watched a lot of that. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? I should have bet the stinking Penguins the next night because you knew the Penguins were going to come back and win the next one, and they did. They put a touchdown up, I think, so – uh, yeah, I don't know. They're just not a good team, the Flyers, right now. Now, Ghost, I saw, got a two-game suspension. He attacked somebody. I didn't even see that either. But oh, I just saw... cheap little. It was a cheap little cross-check. And people are complaining because he got two games, yeah. and some other guy got just a fine for doing a similar thing. So Tom I don't Wilson, know. Who, Tom Wilson, yeah. who the Capitals, has got a history of being a goon. 
and he got a fine yep. and gossip bear never had any problems and he got suspended. Not that's not that's not all that important. The important thing though, I think, is guys like Kevin Hayes uh being a healthy scratch. Oh and and A V saying it was because of his play. Uh that's a problem. That's a real problem when you have guys that are your leaders, you know, supposed to be one of your veteran leaders, and he's being sat down for effort uh or not playing well. Not well, as we it. talked recently, uh, it's going to be interesting to see who's back and who's not. I, I think Kevin Hayes is gone. I think Voracek is a good possibility to be gone. Uh, JVR maybe gone for a second time. So I think they got to go with the younger guys. Keep Claude there as the captain and and the old man now, the elder statesman. But otherwise, do a lot of house cleaning. And as we said previously, you got to figure out what the heck's going on with Carter Hart. I know he's got uh, an injury now, but it's I think more of it's in his head than anything else. Yeah. And the other thing, I believe it was 49 games played. Uh, Nolan Patrick has nine points this season. And I hmm. believe he has played in 49 games if I Wow. Right. Yeah. I did not realize that. I yeah, mean, I know not- we had the issues last year, but supposedly he's healthy right yeah it's i believe it was four goals of five assists at this point of the season that's not good no no <laughs> that is not good no and uh the thing about it is he's he's a number one draft choice and uh you're probably not moving him because nobody's gonna want him you no know? yeah so, nobody's gonna want him at all yeah all right uh so let's take another quick break thank our friends over at the ppcc 118 raz room they post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. They have 11 line resins, mystery boxes, and now a memorabilia shop. So check out their Facebook pages. Like them or follow them. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room and PPCC 118 Raz Room Shop on facebook parting shot for you mr chesco believe it or not i do not have a parting shot i didn't write down any birthdays i got nothing going on um i, I do know it was 40 years ago today that tom petty's album hard promises came out a lot of great songs on there don't ask me to list them because i didn't get any sleep last night and my mind's a little cloudy today but you know i love tom petty and it was 40 years ago that hard promises hit record stores and i bought it the day it came out because i loved tom petty from his first album through now Nice. And uh, back to the Flyers, Brian Elliott with his 500th NHL appearance last night. Uh, and it didn't go well. <laughs> well, it didn't go well, but you know what? It's still an accomplishment to be around and, yeah. and stay in uh, professional hockey uh, as long as that. And, you know, uh, just a side note, Chet, I, I was looking at Brian Elliott today uh, because I saw a couple articles about it. And his wife... Um, they now have a couple children. His wife was an a- active in the Air Force for hmm. many years during his NHL career. Um, and so I did a, a, some quick reading, and she was uh, probably have stayed on with the Air Force, except that his traveling and all that. And she ended up, you know, they ended up getting married and having kids and all that, or having kids. But uh, yeah, she was active Air Force for many years. Uh, Mrs. Brian Elliott. How about that? And if I could remember her first name, I would give her the credit. I don't Amanda, maybe. 
Yeah, I saw that they were at the game, and I, I felt badly that uh, he didn't get a win in his landmark game, but oh well. Hey, I don't know if anybody's going, but on July 21st, I will be going to Yankee Stadium with not those guys, but uh, Yankee Stadium with Philly Sports Trips. And there it is. It's Wednesday, July 21st. And again, that $189 gets you the bus trip from Citizens Bank Park to Yankee Stadium and back, of course. And it also gets you a good ticket for the game and food and beverage, including a pregame tailgate. Plus, you get to hang with a bunch of guys from Edge of Philly Sports and other diehard Phillies fans as we go up there and try to steal one from the Yankees. There's also trips to Fenway and Wrigley in July. You can check it all out at phillysportstrips.com. So uh, check it out, and I can't wait to get up to Yankee Stadium again in mid-July. I, I, are you doing the show from Yankee Stadium? That's a Wednesday. It is a Wednesday. I'm not doing the show that night, but we're going to take the week off or we're going to move it to another night because I'm going to be uh, drinking a beer or two and watching the Phillies. Well, you could do that live from Yankee Stadium. <laughs> we'll talk. You and them EOB guys, you could all be live. <laughs> that could be a scary thing. I don't yeah, know. That's right. That's right. After okay. a pregame tailgate? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could we could have some uh, random chat that night. Cheers. <laughs> All right. Anything else for you before we wrap it up? I'm hungry. Wrap it up. All right. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Ray Dininger. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave Lavoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 12th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook or listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and others. With that, Chet, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Happy trails to you, till we meet again.